Well, and this is our opportunity, Olive Branch, um, to uh, jump into that detox ourselves. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. And, um, and at this point, I'm going to take a real quick uh, time out for a second and let all of you who have uh, our parents of, our, of students, teenagers, uh, junior high and high schoolers, there is a uh, parent meeting happening currently right now upstairs in, in uh, 219. And, and Brian wanted me to let you know that if you're missing that, feel free to run him down individually. He'd love to walk you through what he's talking about. Also, if you're a student and you haven't gone taken off yet, um, this was your opportunity. You guys can take off and head over to the youth ministry over in, uh, in our B auditorium. So in the meantime, we are, we, are, we are jumping into our spiritual growth campaign. Every year, we seek to grab ourselves, wake ourselves up, and say, wait a minute, we have got to start growing. It's sort of like, what? how many of you guys have kids heading off to school within in, in next week? Throw your hand over. You got the public. How many of you guys are like, still waiting because vacation's still on? You got a few weeks left. How many, anybody in here like that? Yeah. How many are homeschoolers? You've not stopped teaching ever. So, okay, anyway, so there's kind of all your different groups. I know for some of us, it's exciting because the kids are gone, and it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? That whole thing from Target, thank you. Uh, and it was um, just an awesome time that you, you see your kids take off. They start growing again and learning again and expanding their minds. Same thing for, for us. We want to take this time period to say it's time to start being serious and, and refocus ourselves to get zeroed in on our spiritual growth. And um, Justin, our discipleship pastor, focused in on this particular curriculum, Soul Detox on Purpose. Because he really feels, and I really agree with him, that if we were to work through this, we're going to discover what kind of world we're really living in, what kind of um, influences we're really letting hang on to our lives, and where we will just allow these changes to occur bit by bit over the next few weeks and over the rest of the year, and as we continue on into our lives, there's going to be massive movement in our hearts and souls. Now, we are diving into this uh, detox kind of scenario. How many have ever done a detox before? Anybody out here? Throw your hand up real quick. Throw it up high. You've done a detox. Don't be ashamed of it. Yes, you're in the weird category with me. Um, I, I'd never had heard of a detox or a cleanse of any kind before until I got married, and my wife's family knew all, all this kind of interesting stuff about how the body works and the different things, like what, what happens if you do a sugar cleanse. Anybody done a sugar cleanse? You stop eating sugar and wheat and stuff, and you like get the flu. It's the weirdest thing in the world. And, just, yeah, and you wind up turning around like, I don't want to be involved with sugar anymore, but you always go back. But the, the strange thing is that in this detox, we were young, and we were told, oh, this is a great one. It's simple. It's a really, it's a one-day cleanse to get rid of gall, like forming gallstones. So you don't get gallbladder and all that crazy stuff later in life. And we're like, okay, that sounds great. And so me and my wife, we dive in and you eat, uh, you eat these green apples all day long, just green apples all day long. And so you're sick of eating green apples. You're eating green apples, nothing but green apples. And the end of the day, you're finally allowed to have something else. And all it is is a half a cup of olive oil with lemon squeezed into it. That's it. You down this thing and go to bed with your knee up. And, uh, and literally, you're like, this is voodoo, Greg, evil voodoo. No, no, this is crazy. Unfortunately for me, I have an overactive gallbladder, I think, because next thing I know, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, and I let it all out in, in, the, in the bathroom, just like, I'm just, and you never want to throw up olive oil. Ugh, just coat your throat, doesn't feel good. You're going, Greg, this is not encouraging us to detox anything. My point is that um, my wife was a, was a great companion there because she joined me right after that. But it, <laughs> it, 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 the, the thing is that the detoxes are awful when you're going through them. 
They're, they're difficult. They're, your body has gotten used to a state that it's in currently with all the toxicity and all this stuff. And it takes literally something to wake the body up, to rid itself of horrible things. And it's not easy and it doesn't feel good. But you know what? I can't tell you how I know it worked, but it works. Just trust me in that. You don't want that story. But the point is that those gallstones were gone. We saw there was a new level of health we had went to because we were willing to go through the suffering and the difficulty and the nastiness of what we had to walk through in order to come to the end of it where suddenly we're like, wow, our lives are better. They have come to this place. And so when we're talking about a detox, I'm serious, guys. When we dive into this detox, this soul detox, it isn't going to be easy. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be pain. There's going to be times where you want to quit. There's going to be times where you're jonesing for the TV, wanting to get back over to that radio, wanting to run to that kitchen and open that door and have more of that food. There's going to be things that you pushed back on in your life that are going to be begging you like they're your best friend to come to the party and join back in. Guys, how are you going to do that if you're all by yourself? A lot of us are going to choose to jump into this this spiritual growth campaign and come to a few of these sermons over the next series. The average American only goes to church once every once in every three weeks. So I mean, you're only going to hit about four or five of these. I hope that's different. I hope you're here every week in this during this series that you're really gathering this information because what you're going to discover is that we've layered every week. We have six weeks in a row, and in between are six weeks of small groups that are going to unveil all kinds of things that we as a church have been holding on to that have been making our souls and our spiritual lives toxic. And because they're toxic, it causes people to look at our church, to look at the Christian life, and to look at other things and go, I don't want that. And if you're not a Christian here today and you've jumped into this, you're going to discover as you, as you join with us and just follow through that a lot of things you don't like about the church and a lot of things you don't like about the uh, Christians you're finding are in yourself also and you're just not liking just what's called sin. And the soul detox here is to help us kind of understand and grab hold of something in our lives to say we're going to let that out, we're going to let that go, we're going to try to work towards a plan to heal that. But the only way we're going to do that is in groups. That's why we always consider this a small group thing, a community group thing, that we call ourselves together instead of alone. So the Bible has a lot to say about community. It has a lot to say about this kind of labor and difficult thing that we're going to do called a detox and why we should do it together. So if you will, let's look at this information from from the Bible. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 12 this morning in, in various ways. And I just... For those of you maybe at the beginning of your journey in the Bible and, and in the spiritual walk, you may not have ever heard of this book, Ecclesiastes, crazy weird name. But basically what it is, is there was this king who was, a, his name was Solomon, the son of the great king David, who is the greatest king of Israel. And what he had done is he had asked God for wisdom and God had given him wisdom. In his considerations of wisdom and as he, as he thought about things, he came to write a book where he asked, what would life be like if we lived where there was no God? If all there was was life under the sun, what would life be like? And so he penned this book, Ecclesiastes, which is a meditation on life without God, on a life lived where God's not a consideration. And he comes up with some very fascinating, very relevant to our current day and age information. But one of the things he dives into here in chapter 4 is he looks at people who work and looks at people who toil, and he sees that there are these people who are living alone. And he says in verse 7, Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person... 
who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, who am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure for? This, is also, this also is vanity and unhappiness and an unhappy business. He's saying, look, you're working your tail off. You're working to gain all this money. You've got a giant bank account, but you've got nobody to give it to. You've got nobody to lend it to. There's nothing for you to enjoy, nobody to enjoy it with, no community surrounding you, no people to celebrate with. And he goes on basically to say this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so Solomon begins to contemplate this life as a community. And he says, guys, it is better to do things together. It is better to detox for our sake, to apply it to what we're going to do, it's better to go through this soul detox together than to attempt it to do it alone. You're saying, yeah, I'm going through it with somebody else. I'm married. Your wife is going to be driven crazy by you in a detox if you try to do this by yourself and vice versa. Your husband will be cr- driven crazy by you because you're going to go through things and you're going to make sacrifices together that are going to cause you both to look at each other and try to compromise each other. You're going to need a team surrounding you to help you out and not go back to the previous habits and ways of life that you built into your family unit. We need community. And so it begins here. What does this community offer us? First of all, it's going to offer you the opportunity to open your eyes to see that you really need a detox. What, what do you need detoxing for? Well, we're going to use this curriculum. We're going to use the community to help us see what's going on in our lives. And that's really where I think we need to look at Proverbs 27, 6. This, this is a statement that many of us know. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And what this is saying is that your enemy is ready to flatter you at any second. An enemy is ready to come to you and give you all the good news you want. They're ready to tell you, you're doing awesome. You know, you can make it happen. You could do it all by yourself. An enemy is ready to put, to give you the worst case scenario in the best way possible. And the reason why is they want you to fail. And here, we'll get into this next week, but one of our worst enemies is ourselves. We love to flatter ourselves, don't we? I mean, I'm a best friend. I go with me everywhere I go. I forgive myself faster than I forgive anybody. I don't, when people say I'm doing things wrong, I'm pretty much at my side defending myself. I mean, we're our best friends. And yet what we're seeing here is that the danger of an enemy, the danger of a culture that wants to tell us, awesome job, slap us on the back when we're doing wrong, is because it's against us. But better are the friends who are willing to walk up and say, you know, I see something in your life that I think is probably not what you want there. And that can be troubling to us. That can cause us some very, some very uncomfortable situation. You heard Craig Rochelle's illustration of this. In his life, he grew up in a home of smokers. And he says it in his book. He says, I didn't realize the environment I was in. I didn't realize there was a cloud in my house of brown smoke all the time. I mean, he did grow up in the 80s, so it was likely it was the same outside as the inside. But the bottom line is smog. But the, in his home, it was dirty. He didn't, and he would go out, and his friends would say, you smell like smoke. And he's like, I don't know, I don't. I smell fine. He, he couldn't smell it because he lived in it. 
He goes off to college, comes home, and he enters in for the first time. He's like, he's, in a clean, he's been in a clean environment, smoke-free environment. He goes home, he's like, there was a film on everything. The, everything had a yellow tint to it. It was weird. I never saw it before. But it took his friends to tell him, and it took other experiences outside to bring in new information. That's what community aids you with. It brings in this new information, because we are never more blind to ourselves than when we're alone. You realize that? You're never more unaware of who you are than when you're just alone. Man, we think we're great stuff when we're all by ourselves. I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't even realize, I may joke about the fact that when you meet me, I always look like I'm angry because I've got these eyebrows God gave me, and I'm just like, hi. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to do that. I've been actually experimenting in the, in the mirror every morning going, smile, Greg, come on, get it up. It just looks so fake. But anyway, oh, you guys agree with me? <laughs> so... <laughs> But what, what I'm, what's interesting to me is the other day we were at an elders meeting a, a, la- a couple weeks ago. This is literally just happened to me last week. And I w- we were in a pretty serious discussion. I had kind of felt like, you know, I shouldn't get involved in this discussion totally because I might make it go one way or another and it looks like it might be benefiting me. And so I try to stay quiet. You know, and I wasn't clear about that. So I'm sitting there and, you know, just listening to everything going on and decisions are being talked about and stuff. And later that night, um, I, I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, you know, some of the elders are kind of upset with the way that your body language language was, was, was showing off and got taken to lunch and actually told this, like, look, your body language is shutting down the conversation. I'm like, oh, that wasn't my intention. You know, I was really engaged. Like, you didn't look engaged. You were slumped down in your chair. You were fidgeting with things. So I explained what was going on inside of me. I was, like, totally engaged with nervous energy and kind of seeing the conflicts and, like, ooh, this is tense and just kind of feeling this thing out but trying not to get too engaged in, a, in, a, in the wrong way. But I would have never known that my body language was, was causing other people trouble in their in trying to express their emotions if somebody hadn't come to me and said greg you looked like you were checked out you looked like you didn't care and i love that these guys were willing to tell me that i love that they were willing to put a mirror up to me to show me that i was not doing what i thought i was trying to do which was to appear interested and so we are never more blind to ourselves than we're by ourselves, than when we're alone. And so I want to challenge you guys. Who is in your life? Who is surrounding you outside of your spouse or your children who are really good at pointing out our faults, right? Who is in a good, loving relationship surrounding you, able to point at something, and you'd be willing to listen to them? Who is that community for you? Because you need it. It's going to help you see what you need to detox. It's going to help you see in that small group community, within that that community group, the men's group, the women's group, the single or whatever you find yourself in, that are able to speak to you and say, hey, hey, I see this in you. I want to help you out. And when we do that, when we engage in a positive manner like that, it shapes us, it sharpens us. That's what Proverbs 27, 17 is stating, right? It's saying iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Now, we know technically iron cannot sharpen iron. You have to have a stronger metal to sharpen a, a, a less strong metal. So that, and in this case, I don't think it's talking about literally sharpening the sword. I think what it's talking about is the two men going at it with swords. It's iron sharpening iron, building skill. And what you see here are two men sharpening each other, that we get together to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to be bold with one another at the right times in love so that we can grow. Where's that community for you? Does it exist? Or are you sailing alone? And if you are, 
I want to warn you. You might be blind to a lot of things God wants to do. And so we need to do this in a community because it helps open our eyes to that need for detox. Second, with other people, you can actually accomplish what you're aiming at faster. You, the way that we usually say this, you can go further faster. There's this um, old, I, I don't remember if it's true or not. I'll just say it's a wives' tale for now but uh, until somebody can confirm it for me. But I've read it in a few books anyway. That Talk about this test that was done in the, in the late 1800s, early 1900s with horses. They would take these horses and they would put one horse and saddle it up onto a cart and they'd load the cart down with tons and tons, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of pounds of weights to see how far the, or how, how much this horse could pull alone. And it came up to about a ton or something like that. And they said, well, let's get two horses together and see how they do. And they figured, oh, you know, when you get two horses, you get double the amount. You can, they can pull double the amount if, with that. But they, what they found is when the two horses were put together and pulling together in unison, they could pull up to three times more than what they could alone. There's some synergy that seems to occur when you're in a community that's with you. You can do things better than you ever could before. You can do things faster. That's why our Navy SEALs and our special ops teams do not train men by themselves all alone. Don't just go, hey, you, come here. We're going to train you and you're good. Go. No, they don't train lone rangers. They train entire groups of men together, units because they can work better together. They complement each other. They encourage each other. They shove each other off. They move and motivate each other. I think that's exactly what this text is saying in verse 9. Look down at this again. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two can withstand it, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. There's strength in numbers. There's ability in numbers where it doesn't otherwise exist. And who's that community that's strengthening you? Who's that community that's pressing you on to go further, faster, encouraging you forward? And all of these beautiful pieces, we need this. You realize that Jesus worked in a community? I mean, here's God in a body, shows up on earth. God from the heavens becomes a human being, born, raised, walking around, Holy Spirit's on him, hears everything his dad from heaven tells him to do, and he goes, you know what, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to make a team. If God needs a team, why are we neglecting community? Jesus put around him 12 disciples. He had, decide, he had all these disciples. He selected 12 of them, three of them, Peter, James, and John. He brought in really close into his intimate, they call it the inner circle. And it was those men he worked through and he developed. And those 12 had 140 and they developed them and they all went out from there. Paul didn't just go out and be Mr. Missionary. I'm going to go reach people. No, Barnabas grabbed him first, trained him with John Mark. They all went out together. Then Paul turns around when he's ready to go out. He grabs Sylvanus and Timothy and all these other guys and forms teams. Everywhere you go in the Bible, it is community and teamwork. Community and teamwork. It's not going alone. We're not bowling. We're playing sport, team sports here. Spirituality is not to be done alone. We're doing it together. And so this can aid in some ways. I want to give you an example. How can it helps you go further faster? Well, first of all, it helps you make a better plan. You're going to form a plan. 
All of us are going to sit down, we're going to be looking at this stuff, we're going to be like, wow, I've got a big problem here. My problem has been that I'm not necessarily, and, and I came up with this while I was up at Forest Home during, during this last a couple weeks ago, and um, I just kind of got, got away and was working with my wife, and we just came to the realization, you know what, I'm not abiding with Christ like I ought to be. I'm not just remaining with him and talking with him. So one of the solutions that I came to and I published with my wife was I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to just shut off the radio in my house or in my car. So I just shut it off in my car. I haven't been listening to it. That's my number one source of news. I don't have any idea what's going on. Is the end of the world come yet? I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not listening to the radio. I'm just kind of, but what I'm doing is I'm using that time anywhere I go as a time to just pray and talk to God and to listen and I'm in the car enough times that I can do that. And what's powerful for me is that other people, when we get back into my small group, as I bring this up, they're going to be able to speak into that so I can have an even better time, an even better plan, because there's wisdom in this. Look at this proverb up here. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance wage war. You and I are waging a war against these bad habits. We're, it may be the bad habits of hidden sin. It may be some bitterness that's inside of you that wants to stay. It may be a resentment that you're unwilling to let go of. It may be a fear or a phrase that you constantly tell yourself. You may be discouraged, brokenhearted, and these things are holding back your, your ability to be used by God. They're holding back your spiritual relationship with God. Perhaps they're holding you back from a relationship with God. And all of these things, we need other people to be able to speak into, to help us see, this is where I want to go. This is how I want to get there. And they read into that, and they help you make a better plan at the beginning so that when you start executing it, you're not running back going, oh, I messed this up. Oh, I messed this up. Oh, I messed this up. And so we need to have this. The curriculum is going to give you a bit of a guide, but what we need to do is have these teams enable us to continue forward. So who's that community for you? And so when we see that then, the beauty is that, guys, you're going to launch off, you're going to get moving, and you're going to start charging, and you're going to get one week in, and then about a week and a half, you're going to be like, I'm kind of not as motivated as I was last time. And then you're going to get about two weeks, and you can go, I really want chocolate. You know, that's what you gave up or whatever. I don't know. I really want to turn that TV on. I really, really want to listen to the radio. And you're going to need that team to gather around you to give you that encouragement so you can have the follow-through. Community brings about follow-through. Follow-through is one of the most difficult things to bring about in your own life. You need other people to keep you going, to keep you to that follow-through. Detoxing is not easy when you're alone. I've already told you that story. Let me tell you a different one. My wife decided, I'm going to do this. She was going to do this detox. I think it was a sugar cleanse at the time. And she had gone for about the first day, gotten into the second day, still keeping the sugar and the stuff out. I forget kind of which detox it was, but it had come to the point where we knew in our plan that at this point she was going to start not feeling good. We were prepped for it, but we weren't prepped for how she was hit. You know, she's slight of build. She's, she's smaller, and, man, it just, it just nailed her. Her metabolism was just screaming, and it was looking for something. She started to get faint and started really shaky and really bad, like she was not going to make it through the rest of the day. I think her heart rate was dropping. There was some weird stuff going on, and I'm like, I don't know. Eat, eat candy. I don't know. Just do something. I get, get some sugar. I don't know what we do here, and what was nice is because of the community around us, she was able to call her dad who knew what was going on. He said, here's what you do. You eat, go get the George Foreman, make yourself some salted chicken and eat it. I told you it sounds like voodoo, but she, she literally ate it and bam, within 10 minutes she was fine. We would have never gotten through that crisis, that moment without that salted chicken. But we wouldn't have known about that without her dad. 
And we wouldn't have known that without a community. And the point is simply this. Your plan may look good, and you may publish your plan, and you have it out there saying, this is where I'm going to go, and you ought to. You need to write down when you get in your group. Publish the plan. Speak it out loud. Tell everybody what you're doing and what you're aiming at. If you're going for several months without that television show that's yanked you down or shutting, you know, backing off Instagram for so many weeks or taking out Facebook for so long or maybe you've got to do something that is in your life that you've got to forgive these people. Whatever it is that you end up, you say it, this is my target, and you say your plan so that they can come in and help you out and you can make wise adjustments. And that's really what I think this community thing is about. Look at verse 10 and 12. It's talking about when we, get, when we get into struggles. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though, one, though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. So he's saying, look, you're stronger in teams. You're going to make it all the way in a team. You've got to have this community around you. We're offering the small groups as that opportunity. The men's and the women's ministry as that opportunity. Those chances in, these, in, the single, in the singles small group and these various small groups to give you a chance to have a team around you to enable you to march forward, to nail that follow through. Otherwise, we're going to give up. Proverbs 15.22 puts it this way, without counsel, plans fail. Period. With many advisors to succeed. You need people to speak in. You need that encouragement to keep going. You need it to occur in this team dynamic. So what should this look like? I believe it means that we need to be encouraging people. When you get into your groups, you need to be encouraging You need to encourage each other constantly. Discouragement is so easy to kill us. In fact, what I'm seeing is Hebrews chapter 10. Look look, look what it says in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I I just have a picture of me sitting there stirring my coffee after I put the stuff in. You stir it up, right? You want to get it all mixed together and moved in. If you ever use the the raw sugar and pour it into the bottom, you stir and stir and stir. That stuff does not dissolve. But you have to stir it up. That we're the raw sugar, okay? We got to stir each other up to love and good deeds. We're not going to just get out there and go do it. The verse before this is powerful. It says, don't fail to get together, as some people are in the habit of doing. Don't fail to pull together, because it's when you fail to pull together, you can't consider how to stir each other up to love and good deeds. In fact, 1 Thessalonians will say it this way. Encourage one another, build one another up, just as you're doing I want to encourage you guys right now to become encouraging. I'm going to exhort you guys to become encouraging. Encouraging people are awesome people to be around. I want you to ask yourself, who are the encouraging people around me right now? You walk away and they've lifted you up so that you are able to see the vision where you lost sight of it. There will be a point at which in your journey you will forget where you're going, why you're going there, and what you're aiming at because it looks so much better back in Egypt. And who's going to rise up and point at that vision when you've lost the goal and say, you, I know you can do this. I'm going to help you get there. Let's get there together. You need that in a community. You know, many of us, that means we need to become encouraging. Discouragement is so dangerous. I was up at Forest Home, and one of the, that was his whole point was talking about hope and encouragement, and it was funny, but the, one of the pastors that was up there, 
He, he basically looked, he was looking at the congregation and says, how many of you guys, there was a lot of pastors up there, have ever had somebody come in and say, Pastor, I'm so encouraged about my marriage, I'm getting a divorce. Pastor, I'm so encouraged about my job, I'm quitting. Nobody does that. When you're encouraged, you keep going. Nothing gets in your way. There's a stumbling block and you're like, boop, you leap over it because you're encouraged. You're energized. Who's giving you that energy? Because many of us are walking around with people and we come and we say, I am so tired. This has been so hard. And you know what I hear is like, you should hear my problems. You think you got problems? Look at this. Oh, you're such a whiner. Get over it. Really? You think you got, yeah, really? Gosh, man, I wish I had your problems. That's not encouraging. It's defeating. That's absolutely discouraging. And we got to ask ourselves, probably shouldn't ask yourself, you probably should go ask somebody in your community group because we're never more blind to ourselves than when we're alone and say, hey, am I encouraging or discouraging? Because guess what? If you're a discouraging person, oftentimes you'll see people not draw near to you. And where are you going to find encouragement if everybody that has come to encourage you, you discourage? The best way to gain the maximum amount of encouragement is to be an encouraging person. And so I want to challenge you guys to encourage each other. Let's be a church of encouragers that say, yes, let's go. You can make it. Let's get in these groups because God wants to build a unit around us that empowers us. You know what? I think that's what we need. You want to see a church that's on fire? It'll be filled with people encouraging each other to get out there and charge hell with a squirt gun. Think about it. No, just kidding. The point is that we are a people who, should, who desire and thrive off encouragement. And your community group that you have right now, your group of friends, as you're saying, we should, we should do soul detox together. Yeah, and you should be encouraging to the max when you say, this is our goal, this is where we're going. When you start to see discouragement, you need to say, okay, come on, let's go get it together. We can do this. Let's, let's rise to the occasion. Some of the ways to do this is powerful. It's, it's done by rejoicing and mourning with each other. And this, is, and this is Romans 12. Look at this. This is a great verse to teach us how to encourage. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. One of the most dangerous things is many of us have taken our emotions and we've gone like this. We've just taken it and we put it into a keg and we just and we sealed it in. It's somehow like the Germanic stock got into all of us. And I mean this on purpose. I got to go to Berlin a few years ago on a mission trip. We got into one of the, like the, one of the trains, the 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 U-Bahn is what they call it. And you're riding there in this subway and on this train. And you're like, you're doing mission work. You're like, I want to practice my German. You know, kind of some of what we were talking about. I'm like, you know, hola, wrong language. Okay, so, you know. <laughs> but these Germans, they get in. They don't talk to each other. They sit down. They look straight forward. They look like me. You know, straight face like, mm. And you're like, I feel cold in this room. Well, I'm there with Nick Barrientos. Everybody remember Nick from last week? Plays guitar. Dude has massive, he had massive hair at the time. He gets in this train. He's like, dude, what's happening? Yeah. You know, and these Germans are like, what is happening here? Shut the boy up. You know, that kind of a thing is going on. And it's just utter chaos because you got German, you got German versus Argentinian. It's not World Cup either. This is like literally energy versus no energy. You got highs and lows and chaos and you got order and straight and perfect. And it's just, they don't meet. 
Unfortunately, I think the Bible's trying to tell you guys, when you see somebody who's rejoicing, you ought to bust out the cake. You should celebrate and throw a party. If you don't know how, ask my daughter. She's great at it. And you just get into this mode where people are excited with you. You know what happens when somebody's excited? They hit their target goal and they come in and I did it, I did it. Everybody's like, good job. That's called discouragement. You're not going to want to achieve another goal. You're going to be like, I'm the only one excited about this. See, I'll find somebody else who is. And there's plenty of enemies ready to give them false applauds. But as friends, we ought to be, you need to tap the keg of your emotions and open it back up. Because when there are people suffering, you ought to enter into that hole and hurt with them. And cry with them. Not be afraid. Lows and highs need to be brought back into our hearts. So we rejoice with those who rejoice and we can turn right around and hurt with those who are hurting and not be afraid that when somebody's hurting to rejoice about somebody's success because what they need right now is to know that if I ever get out of this, you're going to be happy for me, not jealous. And the beauty is when we do this, it causes follow-through. It gets everybody to go, you know what, I'm down here, you all join me, but I want to be up there with you guys. I'm going to step out of this hole for a minute to celebrate with you because I hope we're celebrating with me when I get out of this place. Don't you need that group around you? Don't you need that community that encourages you, builds you up, and is willing to poke you in the chest with the challenge? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We need to exhort ourselves to challenge ourselves. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Push each other, challenge each other, but that's only done in relationship. Otherwise, we'll fall apart and it'll fail. Who's that community for you? If you've got a small group community, encourage it out and build it up. If you've got a group of friends and you're like, hey, let's do this soul detox thing together, encourage, you're going to need it. Challenge, you're going to need it. Rejoice, you're going to need it. If you don't have a community group like that, you're going to need it. And you ought to get in it. Because, you know, the bottom line is everything's better in a community. I think that's what Solomon's saying. Everything is better when you're in a community, period. I love talking shop with pastors. It's horrible to go through the pastorate with no other with no other pastors. You can talk to all your friends. You can talk to, and then I love them. All you guys out there who've given me counsel over the years, thank you. But there's just nothing like sitting down with a group of, of other pastors. Because I'll go to other guys. They're like, yeah, do this, do this. That's interesting. Do this. I don't get that. Don't tell me. That's my church. You know, that kind of a thing. You sit down with a bunch of other pastors. Like I say this stuff, and they go, yeah, man, me too. They have the same worn out look, the same overwhelmed expression when you mention the problem. The beauty is when you have a, a guy who's gone through it and on the other side sitting next to you and he's like, yeah, me too, but this is what I did. And when you guys got guys who haven't gone through it, they got other issues that you've gone through and you're like, oh, I want to encourage you. There's something about talking shop. Anybody get to talk shop about your own work environment? Throw your hand up. Whether you're a parent, whether you're something like that. This community group is talk shop about spirituality every week. It's the ability to talk shop about, I don't get this, I doubt this, I'm challenged by this, I'm excited about this, this is where I'm going. You may be at the beginning of the journey of the spiritual faith, you should have a community that you can talk shop in because there are some of you in the middle of it. And you can encourage those back here and you can be trained by those ahead of you. You need the community. It makes everything better. Maybe I shouldn't say that. I'll I'll let these guys say that. Listen to one small group's experience and um, I hope it will encourage you.